the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Welcome to a discussion of radical fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, laissez-faire capitalism, and individual rights. The Yaron Brooks Show starts now. All right. Seven years, guys. Seven years we've been promised by Republicans that they would repeal Obamacare. Not, not six months, not, not three months, not one year or two years. Seven years we've been promised that Obamacare would be repealed. And indeed, the House, you know, when the Republicans had a majority in the House for many of those years, actually did repeal, uh, vote to repeal it. Now, now the Republicans have the White House. They have the Senate. They have the House. They're not going to repeal it. We know they're not going to repeal it because the House bill that passed didn't repeal Obamacare. The Senate bill that's being proposed won't repeal Obamacare if it even passes, if they can even muster enough votes to get even this passed. Right. So one thing is clear. Obamacare is not going away. Now, this might be what the Repo- we get from the Republicans might be Obamacare light, but Obamacare, the, the, the very essential features of Obamacare, the very essential nature of Ob- Obamacare, the goal of Obamacare, that is not being challenged, that is not being repealed, that is not, not, not going away. And, you know, you have to ask yourself, why? Are, are Republicans just cowards? Are they just stupid? Are they, they just don't care about their constituency? Is it okay to lie to them? What is actually going on? What is driving the fact, the fact that Obamacare will not be repealed? Now, they don't get the votes. They don't have the votes. But why don't they have the votes? Right. Why don't they have the votes? I mean, you guys all voted for these Republicans. Don't you guys all want Obamacare to be repealed? Well, it turns out, turns out that you don't. Turns out that you don't. Because what would it mean? What would it mean to repeal Obamacare properly and, and actually replace it properly? What what have the Republicans claimed? And what are the people who voted for Republicans claimed to stand for forever? What, you know, what, what is the alternative supposedly uh, that we have always assumed uh, was there, you know, in, instead of Obamacare? What, what was going to be the alternative? Well, the alternative was going to be some movement towards free market healthcare, some movement towards individuals taking on responsibility for their own healthcare, buying insurance for themselves, and you know allowing for a real free market in insurance, allowing you know moving to a system in which doctors, in which um, patients can negotiate, can actually see prices. A free market, right? I, I go to Best Buy, I shop for a computer or an iPad or whatever. I, you know, there's competition. I can, I can test the Samsung. I can test the Apple. I know what the price is. I can add features. I can reduce features. I can't do that in hospitals. I can't do that with doctors. I can't really do it with insurance policies because they're so, they're so rigid. They're so constrained. And why are they rigid? Why are they so constrained? Why do we have so few options when it comes to healthcare and when it comes to, uh, when it comes to insurance policies? It's because it's regulated. <laughs> you know, every industry, every industry that is massively regulated, you have very few options. I mean, that's that's just the reality of it, right? 
So when you unregulate an industry, when you when you leave it free, you get lots of options, and you get you get price competition, and you get to you get to look around, and you get to uh, you get to choose, and you get to shop, and you get to do all these things. But but when it is a uh, a regulated industry, the government shrinks the number of options because everybody ha can only provide a product, can only provide a product that fits the regulations. So they're limited choices. Is this bill by the Republicans going to change that? No, not at all. Nothing about this bill is going to change that. Because in spite of the fact that some senators were quiet, that in order to vote for a bill, you know, Senator Lee being one of them, right, uh, said, you know, we won't vote for a bill unless you, de you get rid of all the insurance regulations that Obamacare places, placed on insurance companies. Did that, did that matter? Right? No. The, uh, the, the, the Republican bill doesn't reduce those regulations. This is why Senator Lee has said he will not vote for this bill. Now he's still leaving himself an out, so he still might land up voting for the bill. But he said at least, you know, he demanded that these provisions be included, the elimination regulations, and, and they're not doing it. They're not doing it. Uh, are subsidies, have they taken out all the subsidies? No, they just jiggled around and they've changed the subsidies, right? Um, have they, uh, you know, have they, have they reduced Medicare? Uh, yeah, from 2025 on by a tiny little margin. You know, they kind of are block granting it to the states, but kind of not. They've done nothing, nothing. Obamacare is going to be a little different. Yes, uh, they've done what Republicans are very good at. What are Republicans good at? What is every Republican in, in you know, in, in recent history, at least, maybe in all time, what do they always campaign on? What do they always live up to? What do they always do? This is the only thing they actually get done. Cut taxes, except for uh, Bush Sr., who raised taxes in spite of Read My Lips. He campaigned on cutting taxes. He just didn't do it, right? So they cut taxes. And, and indeed, they're going to cut taxes from the Obamacare bill. And, and that's good. I'm all for cutting taxes. Cool. Cut taxes. That's great. But Obamacare was never about, predominantly about taxes. It's about choice in health care. It was about insurance. It was about you know, redistribution of wealth because they're not cutting the subsidies to to low-income people or, or even to the insurance companies. So where does the money come from? So they're going to cut the taxes in Obamacare, then they're going to still need the money, and the money's going to have to come from general revenues, which mean from taxes. I mean, the government doesn't have a magical place where they go to get the money to pay for the goodies that they want to give us all. At the end of the day, Everything the government spends has to be raised through, yes, taxes. So they're very good at cutting taxes, and, and, and this bill cuts taxes all over the place. And, and I'm all for that. Look, I'm, you know, the, the ridiculous taxes, taxes on medical devices, taxes on tanning salons, taxes on all kinds of industries and all kinds of things. If, you're, if you make more than, I think, 250000 there's a special Medicare tax. So it's taxes, taxes, taxes. I'm all good with cutting and eliminating those. But I thought, I thought what Republicans actually promised, what Republicans actually said they would do is repeal Obamacare, eliminate Obamacare, get rid of Obamacare. 
and they're not. And, and look, this is completely consistent with Trump. Trump doesn't want to eliminate Obamacare. He doesn't want to repeal Obamacare. He never has wanted that. He has constantly said, no, 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 you know, we need something compassionate. We need, you know, we'll get to this compassion stuff in a minute. We need something compassionate. We need, we need a compromise. You know, Australia has a wonderful healthcare system better than ours. Australia, by the way, has socialized healthcare, single payer, universal healthcare. That's, that's Trump. That's what Trump has pushed for. Single payer, universal healthcare. So he can't do that with Republicans having the House and Senate. So he wants Obamacare. Trump has never opposed Obamacare, which is, it's just fascinating to me that the electorate, Republicans out there, grassroots, are letting Republicans get away with this. I, I don't see, I don't see people upset. I don't see people demonstrating against Republicans on this Obamacare stuff. I don't see a demand to repeal. When Republicans go home, when Republicans go home this summer, are you guys going to go out there and demonstrate and, 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 uh, and, and, uh, and tell them you're not going to vote for them unless they actually repeal Obamacare? I don't know. I just don't see it. I don't see the grassroots effort. When, when Obama was around, that was a big thing for the grassroots. We, you know, we're going to repeal Obamacare. It was a big push. It was a big push, right? It's gone now. Somehow, all the energy is gone from that, right? Because now the Republicans can actually do something and they won't. So, so I want to discuss why. Why fundamentally, other than they're just cowards. Uh, what is it about Obamacare? What is it about Republicans? What is it about you, the voters? Make it impossible to appeal Obamacare. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to your Ron Brooks show. We'll be right back after these messages. Best-selling author, prolific media contributor, PhD in finance. This is the Yaron Brooks Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-8192. That's 800-600-8192. 800-600-8192. This is the Yaron Brooks Show. All right, you know, you know the special election in Georgia that was held uh, a, a few uh, few days ago, I guess. And uh, Republicans were really everybody was really happy because Republicans won, in, in spite of the, a, a significant challenge by the Democrats and all the money spent. And I actually wish Republicans had lost. I mean, they got to get a message here. They got to get a message that unless they actually do what they promise to do, unless they actually live up to the principles they claim, claim to believe in, that they're not going to win elections. I mean, if I want socialized health care, if I want single payer, if I want Obamacare, then I'll vote for Democrat. I thought Republicans were an alternative to that. But I think what we're learning and what we should have learned decades ago, decades ago, is that there's very, li- very little difference between these two political parties when it comes to these fundamental issues about our economic rights. There is very little difference between 
you know, the core of the two political parties. Yeah, the, 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 the nutty people on the left want single payer. But I have a feeling now that among Republicans, single payer is gaining traction. Certainly, you know, Trump seemed to suggest that at least he believes single payer is a good solution because, look, he praised the system Australia has and he's praised other single payer systems as well. Okay, if you want to get in the conversation, give us a call. 888-900-3393. And during the break, I heard in the advertising that I have a PhD in finance, which is actually true. So you can call with finance questions, but no investment. I don't give investment advice. I do not do that. Uh, 888-900-3393. Uh, you know, if, if you're calling, let's try to keep it on Obamacare for now just because that's what we're talking about. Um, I know uh, I've got a call. I've got JJ on the line from Palm Springs. He wants to talk about something different. I'm going to get you, JJ, I promise. And actually, a little later in this segment, but um, but I'm, I'm going to try to stay on topic. It's so easy to get me diverted away from topics because I like to talk about so many different things. But call 888-900-3393. What do you think? Why is it? Why is it that Republicans cannot, not just won't, cannot, I believe cannot and will not repeal Obamacare. That, that there's something in him and there's something in the electorate. There's something among the people who vote for Republicans that makes it impossible for them to actually go for free market in healthcare, actually go for a true free market. Let me, let me give you some examples that are not related directly to Obamacare, but, but basically constitute the same principle. During the Great Depression, during the Great Depression, FDR passed a lot of new um, laws that basically allowed for a massive redistribution of wealth in America, whether it was Social Security, the beginnings of a variety of different welfare programs, uh, huge, you know, uh, the beginnings of the American welfare state. There was no welfare state. And Social Security, by the way, is welfare. And if you don't believe that, call me up and let's argue the point. But Social Security is pure welfare, right? FDR passed all these and the Democrats passed all these. And what did Republicans say at the time? Oh, when we get, when we get the House and Senate and when we get the presidency, we're going to repeal it. We're going to repeal all those things that were done by FDR. Big government. We don't believe in that big government. We're going to privatize the Tennessee, you know, whatever authority. We're going to, we're going to, you know, we even going to privatize Social Security. There was talk about that. We're going to repeal all this stuff because this is bad stuff. This is, this goes against the principles on which this country is based. We want free markets. Okay. So when they won the presidency under Eisenhower and later under Nixon or whatever, did they do anything? No, no, they didn't repeal a thing. Indeed, uh, Republicans are often the ones who are strongest advocates for saving Social Security saving the welfare state. Okay, then in the 60s, we got the war on poverty, we got Medicare, we got Medicaid, we got uh, welfare, real welfare, massive redistributions of wealth. And at the time, Republicans were opposed to all of it. Ronald Reagan, go, go find this YouTube video of Ronald Reagan, 1964, uh, during the Goldwater campaign. Uh, you know, fight, uh, arguing against Medicare. He was great. He made a moral case against Medicare. Medicare, not Obamacare, Medicare. And the Democrats passed it anyway, and the Republicans said, okay, when we, when we get the presidency, when we get, you know, we'll repeal it, we'll shrink it. And Ronald Reagan, you know, he was the guy who made the case against Medicare. He was going to become president one day, right? He would do it. 
He was gonna, he was gonna repeal it, or, or, or at least shrink it, or at least moderate it, or do something, reduce the involvement of government in healthcare, in welfare, in redistribution of wealth. What did he do? What did any of them do? What did Nixon do? What did any of them do? Nothing. Nothing. Again, Republicans today are the biggest advocates for preserving Medicare, saving Medicare. You know, one of the complaints against Obamacare was it was weakening Medicare. So this is not new. This is not new. Republicans always fold on these issues. They never, never, ever actually on anything to do with welfare, on anything to do with things like healthcare and redistribution of wealth, they never, ever, ever move us in a positive direction. They might slow down the growth of the programs, maybe not even that. Think George W. Bush passed Part D of Medicare. Part D of Medicare was the biggest expansion of the welfare state since Johnson. A Republican, with a Republican Senate and a Republican House, they could have done whatever they wanted. They could have completely reorganized Medicare. They could have passed private health care reform. No, instead of that, they expanded the welfare state. That's Republicans. So I go back to the question of why. Why do they do this? Why can't they? Why can't they? You know, actually make these changes. Okay, we've got... We've got uh, Russell and, and JJ, I will get to you, I promise, but we, <laughs> we got Russell from Virginia who wants to, you know, he's arguing Republicans and Democrats are the same party. Hey, Russell, how's it going? Russell, are you there? Hello? Hey, there you are. I can hear you now. Oh, okay, awesome. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Talk up. Speak up. Uh, so, like I was saying, is that they're essentially one party now. I, I see, honestly, at this point, I see no difference between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. And I feel like this is something uh, people have been saying for a long time, that there's, there's Democrats in the Republican Party, but there's no Republicans in the Democratic Party. So at this, at this point, I think, I think we might as well just, give, uh, just let it fail. I, I think you're right. I, 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 think, I think, well, but if, if we let Obamacare fail, what happens? We get single payer. Because you're right, they're both the same right, party. Yeah particularly when it comes to these kind of social issues, and there'll be a coalition of what they'll call moderate Republicans and Democrats, and they'll come together and they'll give us socialized health care. I mean, that's the solution, right? The solution is to get rid of Obamacare in the name of not free market health care, which is what I would advocate for and what Republicans on occasion have promised, but instead give us what Democrats have wanted for the last hundred years. They've wanted it since the days of FDR, which is single-payer, universal health care, run by the government, complete socialized medicine, with maybe a private option for the wealthy, but the rest of us are screwed, right? Right. That's what we're going to get, and, and I think you're right. I think the differences between the Democrats and Republicans on these core issues are zero. There are no differences, and the question again is why, and, and, and I think more than that, I think it's the American people I'm not for free market medicine or not for co completely repealing Obamacare. I think our, our, our senators and House members respond to what you guys want. And do you guys really want, really want free market health care? And my, my conclusion is, no, people don't really want free market health care. I don't know about you, Russell. I want free market health care. Oh, I do too. Yeah, but I don't think, I don't think a significant number of Americans do.
And I think, uh, I think that, that our politicians are responding to us, to what we are demanding, what we want. And we keep electing them anyway. So why, you know, why rock the boat? Why upset people? All right. Uh, thanks to ourselves. Thanks for the call. Uh, we, we have to go here. We've got, we've got a hard break. And uh, you're listening to your own book show uh, where we're going to get to the fundamental cause of why Republicans and Democrats are not that different. We'll be right back after the break. Part of Generation Blaze on the Blaze Radio Network. The Huron Brook Show. All right, here we go. And, and, uh, you know, so we're talking about Obamacare. We're talking about why is it that when it comes to these social programs or these social, any of these social programs, any kind of welfare programs, any redistribution programs, Republicans are not only never actually repeal them, never actually roll them back, but indeed when they have control, they actually expand them. Part D of Medicare being maybe the best illustration of that under George W. Bush, the largest expansion of the welfare state since Johnson, since the Democrats controlled it all. And I wouldn't be surprised if when we look back at the Trump administration, we will see a vast expansion ultimately of the welfare states, of the redistribution states. Certainly we will not see, that is clear, a repeal of Obamacare. And, and you know, Trump has told us he doesn't want to repeal Obamacare. He's actually called various versions of the House and Senate bills cruel, mean. It's called the mean. And now the Democrats are using the word mean. And uh, uh, Trump's upset because, hey, wait a minute. That was my word. <laughs> I don't even know what to do with that, right? I don't know what to do with that. All right, we, we, got, we got a couple of callers. We got JJ and Slav, but they're both going to take me a little off topic. So I'm going to hold off on them. So, you know, be patient, guys. I promise I will get to you. But, um, but if you want in on the conversation about why Republicans are so impotent, impotent when it comes to appealing any kind of social programs, 888-900-3393. Um, Eight 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 nine hundred three three nine three. See, I believe, I believe in free markets. I believe in free markets not only because I know they work, and I know we'd get better, cheaper service. We'd get better, cheaper healthcare. We could have the best healthcare. Well, I was going to say in the world, but you probably get the best healthcare in the world today if you have insurance. Uh, but but we could get 10 times better. We, I mean, it's unimaginable how good our healthcare would be, how cheap it could be. Technology and markets drive prices down, drive quality up in every single field. Except in healthcare, so you have to ask what's going on in healthcare. Well, then the regulations, the controls, the subsidies, the fact that 51 cents before Obamacare, 51 cents of every dollar spent on healthcare was spent by government, by government. Now, you could say this is just about power. You know, Republicans want power. They want to control our health care decisions. They want to control our lives, just like the Democrats want to control our lives. They want to be able to manipulate the industry. They want to, you know, get all those dollars from the insurance companies that come groveling before them, uh, lobbying. They, they, they're cronies. And you could say this is all about cronyism. 
But it, but I don't believe that. I don't think it's about cronyism. I think it's much deeper than that. Because it's not just our politicians who oppose the free market in, in medicine. It's not just the politicians who actually want to repeal it. It's the voters. The voters don't want to repeal Obamacare. Not really. Not when you get to the nitty gritty. You want, it, you want no pre-existing conditions? You want a real free market insurance? Do you trust a real free market in insurance will develop products that solve the pre-existing condition issue? Or do you want, or do you want the government to protect you if you have pre-existing conditions? I bet you most of you are thinking, oh no, I want the government. I don't trust those insurance companies. They're going to screw me. I don't trust markets. That's the attitude of most Americans. An overwhelming, I'd say, majority of Americans, and that's what Republicans are feeding off of. They are responding to what you, the voters, want. And you, the voters, don't want a complete repeal of Obamacare and real, real free market in healthcare. I remember uh, during the Tea Party era, right, the signs that the Tea Party people don't tread on me and shrink governments and in their constitution and the Declaration of Independence and individual rights. And then a big banner saying, keep your hands off of my Medicare. Look, Medicare is socialized medicine for people over 65. Medicare is single-payer universal health care for people over 65. If it's good for people over 65, what about people over 55? And if it's good for people over 55, what about people who are 15? What about babies? Why not? Why not just have single-payer? Why not just have the government take it all over? That's what people want. If they want, if you are for Medicare, if you believe that Medicare is the solution for healthcare for seniors, then you are for Obamacare. Then you are for socialized medicine. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have socialized medicine just for some people. Everybody over 65. And then think you're going to win the argument about people under 65 having free market healthcare. I remember during the discussions about Obamacare, the chairman of the Republican Party uh, put out an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal saying, we're opposed to Obamacare. We think Obamacare is a government takeover of health care. This is socialized medicine. This is terrible. We're against all of it. We're against all of it. And one of the things we don't like about Obamacare is it, is it hurts Medicare because we, the Republican Party, are committed to the preservation of Medicare forever. So the next day I'm listening, I, I, you know, when I, when I drive to work, or when I'm just driving, I listen to NPR. I like to know what the enemy's thinking, right? So I listen to NPR. NPR's very biased, very leftist, but it's also very intellectual, and, and they run stories nobody else runs. And they're smart. They're smart. So they have him on the show. They have him on the show. And what, and, and, and they have him on the show, and the thing they say is, look, how can you be for Medicare? which is socialized medicine, universal health care for people over 65, and against Obamacare, which just expands med you know, coverage through the government for all these new people. And he had no answer. He couldn't. He was living a complete and utter contradiction. You're either for markets or you're for socialism. You can't have a bit of each. That is unstable. That will go in one direction or the other. Health care in the United States today is a mixture. Lots of socialism. Over 50% of every dollar spent is spent by the government. A little bit of freedom. That little bit of freedom has shrunk under Obamacare and is going to shrink further and further and further unless you're willing to redo the entire package. And nobody is willing to do that. Why? Well, because we don't trust markets. 
We don't believe markets will work. And because we have a moral failing, in my view, our moral code, the moral code we've been taught by everybody, by our preachers, by our mothers, by our philosophers, by everybody on talk radio and everyone, our moral code says that somebody else's need is your responsibility. You have to take care of people who are in your need. You have. You're your brother's keeper. Hey, you're your brother's keeper. And your brother doesn't have health care. It's your responsibility to provide it. And since in the marketplace we don't provide for everybody, then we need, we need the government to help us out. Force us a little bit. Use its cursive power to help us care for the people that morally we're supposed to care for, the needy, the people who don't have insurance, our brothers and sisters all over the world out there. This is the morality that says your life doesn't matter. You might be responsible, but you are morally responsible for everybody around you. And if they're not responsible, then you have to find a way to take care of them. It's on you. This is the morality, the morality of altruism. Altruism doesn't mean just being nice to people. Altruism means that your moral responsibility in life is other people's well-being, not your own, other people's well-being. Morality means that it's your moral responsibility to take care of anybody who has a need that is not being fulfilled. And there are lots of people out there who have a need that's not being fulfilled, and it's your responsibility to take care of it. And if you don't do it, the government will step in to help you out. And you'll vote for it because you feel guilty about the fact that there are all these people who are uninsured. It's our altruism. It's our morality of need. The morality that says the need is a claim on us, which allows us to keep going and going and going. All right, we'll talk more about this morality of self-sacrifice, about this morality of altruism. They invite you as destroying America and suddenly preventing Republicans from doing what's right when we come back, after this break, you're listening to Yaron Brook Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Israeli military veteran and radical for capitalism. It's the Yaron Brook Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Yaron Brook. So this is the only show on the planet where altruism is going to be blamed for the problems in the world. And it is. The idea that your life, your moral responsibility in your life is to other people. The idea that the needs of other people are moral claim against you. The idea that the fact that other people don't have health insurance should make you feel guilty. That idea is destroying America. That is not the founder's conception. And that is not the moral ideal at the heart of America. This is not. We move far away from the idea that each of us has an unalienable right to pursue our own happiness. Only Ayn Rand, only Ayn Rand, in modern times at least, has argued that your moral purpose in life is not to serve, it's not to, to, to sacrifice for other people. Your moral purpose in life is to make your life the best that it can be. It's to flourish as a human being. It's to benefit yourself. It's to be self-interested in a rational way, using your reason. It means 
that if you want health insurance, then figure out a way how to get health insurance. Restructure your finances so that you can afford health insurance. And if you can't, then lobby heavily and, and demand from your representatives to get the regulatory burden of the government off of insurance companies so that they can offer you a product that's cheap enough so you can afford. But don't, don't ever expect other people to give it to you just because you need it. That's not America. That's Europe. That's socialism. But that's not what America is about. America is about self-reliance. It's about taking responsibility for your own life, your own decisions, your own priorities, your own finances, your own health care. But soon, we're going to have universal health care. And you won't have to worry. You won't have to worry. Some bureaucrat will make all your health care decisions for you. You'll fill out a form, and they'll decide what kind of treatment you get, and they'll decide when you'll die, and they'll decide whether you're worth investing in when you have cancer or whatever. That's the world we're heading. Instead of individuals making decisions for themselves based on their own values, based on their own happiness, if you're 25, if you're 25, then yeah, you should have health insurance. But if you decide not to have health insurance because you think you're invincible and you think you know, you, you don't want to spend the money on that and you're not prioritizing that, why should I pay for your health care? Why should I pay for your health insurance? You're making stupid decisions. Live with them. It's not my moral responsibility to fix the mistakes that you make. And the problem is that we as a society think it is. Oh my God, 25-year-olds don't have insurance. We, we can't let them, can't anything bad happen to them? We have to pay for their health care. What happens if they don't have health care? They might die. Well, I mean, with all due respect, it's not my responsibility if they die. They're the ones who didn't do it. Now, I believe they wouldn't die because there'll be charity and hospitals would cover them. And then they should put a lien on their income so that they pay for it. You don't get to live off of other people just because you are making irresponsible decisions. But we believe that we need to take care of each other. And we, we're socialists. Look, deep down, at the core, we're socialists. Okay, I'm going to take a quick call from uh, Yehuda in Minneapolis uh, because uh, he wants to talk about this topic. And Slav and JJ, wait on the line. We're going to get to you after the next break. But Yehuda wants to talk about Obamacare. So go ahead, Yehuda. Uh, what's up? I'm back supporter, and I was a Tea Party guy, been a part of the Tea Party, and I'm supporting President Trump. I don't know why you're against the health care bill. We've got to get Obamacare out of there, and we've got to have a heart, because this is why Republicans lose, because they say we don't have a heart and we want to throw people you know, off the street. So this is a good bill, because it just is a little bit of help for people who need it, and it's not socialized care. I don't know why you're not supporting Trump. We need to get rid of Obamacare. And, and you're just, you know, you never Trumpers are just no for everything. This would be a good thing. And what's wrong with having just a little bit of help for people who need it? That's a, that's a Christian, that is a Christian thing to do. And It know, is, it is. And, and it, you know, and I'm going to oppose the Christian thing to do because I think it is wrong to do it. It is wrong. It's not a politician's money to spend as they see fit. It's not theirs to give away. It's mine. If I want to help people, I get to help people. But we can't use the coercive, we shouldn't use the coercive nature of government. We shouldn't use force to take money from some people to give it to others. And look, 
if, if the House and the Republicans and the House and Senate and, and if Donald Trump wanted to actually repeal Obamacare, I'd be all for it. But they themselves admit this isn't a repeal. This is a rejuggling. They themselves admit that it would be mean if we didn't take care, if we didn't have a heart. No, politicians should not have a heart. You heard it here first. Politicians should not have a heart. The only job of government is to protect our rights. The only job of government is to protect us from criminals and fraudsters and bad guys and terrorists and foreign invaders, something they don't do. It's not their job to decide who's needy, from who to take, and to, from, to, to whom to give. It's not their job to sacrifice us. Now, I don't think you should sacrifice anyway, but it's certainly not the responsibility of other people to tell you when you should and shouldn't sacrifice and force you to do it. I believe we are all individuals capable, thank you, to thanks for, thanks for the call. We're all individuals capable of taking care of ourselves. We all need to have that moral responsibility to take care of ourselves. That's what morality is about. Living the best life we can live as individuals. Government needs to butt out, needs to stay out of my healthcare decisions, needs to get out of the business of healthcare, of insurance, of all of that. I'm for 100%, 100% free market healthcare. You're listening to the Iran Book Show. We'll be back after these break. You're listening to the Iran Brook Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome to a discussion of radical fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, laissez-faire capitalism, and individual rights. The Yaron Brook Show starts now. So, in the previous hour, we talked about Obamacare and why, why, why Republicans cannot repeal it, and indeed why most Americans don't want Republicans to repeal it, including, I believe, most Republicans. Most Republicans do not want the repeal of Obamacare. Why? Because they believe it's their moral responsibility to care for their neighbor. And they are quite happy for the government to force them to do it. Because it's more convenient. It's easier. Why deal with the neighbor directly when you can have the government step in and deal indirectly? So let me try to sum up the point this way. Let's say your neighbor gets sick and he hasn't got insurance. And... You know, bad stuff is going to happen. And they come to you, and they, and so my point is, your neighbor only has two choices, in a sense. They can come to you, and they can ask for your help. Look, man, I, I, I was irresponsible. I didn't buy insurance. I'm screwed now. Things are really bad. Help me out. Can you help me get the health care that I need, the treatment that I need? Otherwise, I'm going to die, or my ch- child's going to die, or whatever, right? And then you get to decide whether to help or not. And in most cases, people would help, but it would be dependent on your own values. Do I have the money? Do my kids need the money right now? Am I using the money to pay for my kid's school, which is more important to me than my neighbor's health? It is, by the way. My kid's schooling, my kid's health is more important to me than your health. That's the reality. I'm a self-interested person. My kids, I love my kids more than I love your kids. I don't really love your kids. I like them, maybe. Maybe they're okay, but I don't love them. So when I decide whether to help you or not, it's going to be in the context of my life. What? How much money do I have? What other demands are there on that money? How big of an emergency is it? And I might say no to you. Now the question is, does me saying no to my neighbor about helping him out 
in order to even to save his life. I'm not willing to pay to, to give up my entire checking account in order for somebody else to save somebody's life who I don't know and I don't care about. Not willing to do it. I'm self-interested and I believe in the morality of self-interest. I believe this is right. We should all be like this. And the neighbor should have thought about this, should have invested in his own long-term well-being by buying insurance or saving or whatever. So he doesn't get a right because I said no to pull out a gun and steal my money. Everybody says, oh, no, that's theft. That's bad. Okay, see, he doesn't do that. What he does is he goes to the neighborhood and he gets all the neighbors to vote to steal my money. And somehow that's okay. That's democracy. In democracy, it's okay to steal my money. And, and this is what's so, so, so horrible here, right? Is that because, because somebody is needy, because my neighbor's needy, we skip over the phase of his asking because we assume some of us will say no, legitimately so in my view. And we go straight to, we're going to force you to help him out. We're going to basically pull out a gun and force you. You were responsible. You bought insurance. You took care of your family. Well, you're going to pay the price for that responsibility. You are going to sacrifice you. And most moral codes, including the Christian moral code, and I'm, you know, I'm going to be a critic of Christianity in this show, um, and, and Judaism and Islam and all religion. But the moral code is going to say, it's your moral responsibility to help him. You, you, you can't not. And if we're going to force you, then you just have to accept it. Because your life doesn't matter. Your health doesn't matter. What matters is his health. Your moral responsibility in life, this is altruism. This is what the morality of altruism means. Your moral responsibility in life is to help other people. And the more needy they are, the more you should help them. I say no. And it's time Americans stood up and said no. I want to take care of myself. I'll take care of the people I want to take care of. Don't burden me. Don't burden me. Don't put it on my shoulders. The responsibility of taking care of people I have not chosen to take care of. My moral responsibility is only to the people I choose. And I choose based on my values, based on my own life, based on my own happiness and success. You only get one life. You only get one shot at this. Make the most of it. Live for yourself, not for your neighbor. As nice as the neighbor is, your life is not his. You don't mortgage your life to him because he has needs, because he has wants, because he has not been responsible, or even if he had an accident. And I'm not saying we don't help. I'm saying you help when it's in your self-interest help. You help when it's a benevolence. You help when your neighbor says thank you because he appreciates the fact that you're helping, that you don't owe him. And yes, Americans have always been benevolent. Indeed, people who are free, people who pursue their own happiness, people who are focused on their own well-being and who are responsible for themselves are the most benevolent people in the world. But you do it out of benevolence, not out of duty. Out of benevolence, not out of moral duty. When you do it out of moral duty, that's bad. It's bad for you. And, more, and, 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 and importantly, it gives, it opens that window for government to step in and say, well, it's your moral duty. We're just helping you out to exercise your moral duty. And if we don't, bad things are going to happen and you should feel guilty for it. All right. Um, 
I'm going to quickly go to JJ, uh, JJ from Pop Springs, because he's been waiting on the line for so long, even though it's not related to this topic. Go ahead, JJ, ask your question. I don't know if I have an answer. Oh, all right. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you, uh, Yaron, for having the ability to make such a complex topic and subject so simple and commonsensical. I don't know why people don't get this stuff, but I just want well, to say We'll thank find you. out if it's, if it's simple and commonsensical by, by, by whether people turn, my, turn the radio off when they hear me and whether we can convince anybody out there. We will see. We will see. I'll tell you, the first time I heard you, I felt like turning it off. I was a little pissed off, but... <laughs> you know, after a while, it started nagging at me, and I and I started thinking, yeah, you know, you might have a point on that last thing you said, and eventually I came around. So, oh, that's I, a great story. I, I, I think there's hope. That. Yep. Last week, you talked on your show about the importance of teaching about how kids aren't taught history, and even adults aren't. Yep. And you seem to know a lot about history, about the founding fathers, and just Western history in general, and so. Uh, I, I see my kids now, and I see the, the, the stuff that they're being taught. It's very politicized, and I'm just so, wondering if, if there's a good a resource or a good place to get resources where I can start teaching my kids proper I mean, history, I, you know, the right... I'll, I'll investigate that, because it's a great question, and I don't have a simple answer, and partially because it would take a lot of work to figure it out, particularly for kids. Um, but, but let me do some research on that and get back to you in a future show. But let me tell you this unequivocally. The stuff they're learning in school is not history. The stuff they're learning in school is to a large extent propaganda. Uh, you know, it, it was written by academics, and most of the academics in American schools, most of the people who, who write this history are, uh, are Marxists of, of various kinds and various forms. So you have most of the history today uh, in American history. For example, you know, simple. The Industrial Revolution is a huge, huge, huge part of Western civilization, a huge part of, 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 uh, of the success of America and of the success of the West. And what do, what do the kids learn about it? Child labor, oh, the poor, poor people, oh, the pollution it caused, oh, all these bad things, without any context about the fact that before the Industrial Revolution, everybody was poor, and the Industrial Revolution is the only thing that brought us out of poverty, without the context of the fact that before the Industrial Revolution, all kids worked, and indeed it's the Industrial Revolution that got kids into a school because now parents could afford to send them to school, and on and on and on and on you go. And it's very difficult to find a textbook, for example, that appreciates the role, the, the unprecedented role, the, the magnificent role, the just the beauty of the Industrial Revolution. It, it just doesn't exist because of the political, philosophical orientation of almost everybody who writes history, particularly for kids, unfortunately. So, so mm -hmm. I, I'll do some research and try to find it. But, uh, but you, what you got to do is, 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 I think, ultimately, you're going to have to find some adult books and you're going to have to present them to your kids in a way that they can understand them. I don't think you're going to find something written for kids that's going to do it right, or at least not one source that has it all. All right? Yeah, I'm right, okay with thanks that. Thanks for that's calling, JJ. Really appreciate it. Keep on listening, and you're listening to your own book show. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back, and we'll take some calls from Slav and from Matt. We'll be right back. PhD, author, media contributor. This is the Yaron Brooks Show, the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to the Yaron Brooks Show. So, my big point, 
My big point is your needs. I don't care how needy you are. I'm not a claim on my life. I'm not a claim on my wealth. I'm not a claim on my time. They're not a claim on the doctor's time either. Doctors, doctors should be able to negotiate their own prices. Not be told by the government how much they can charge, which is what Medicare does. They should be able to negotiate with patients. We should be free. Now, let me be clear about Medicare. I don't, I don't want to scare any of you guys. I, I realize that a lot of you are paid in and you expect to get something in return. And if you're 65, you're afraid, oh, your aunt's going to eliminate Medicare and I'm going to die. Look, these things have to be phased out. Social Security, Medicare have to be phased out. I'd say over a generation or two, you phase them out completely to zero. There should be no Social Security. There should be no Medicare. You should save. What a concept. What a concept. Save for retirement. Take responsibility over your own life. Buy lifelong insurance, which would be available in a free market. Phase it out. Phase it out. So most of you put putting money in. You'll get some of it back. I don't think you should get all of it back. It was stolen from you a long time ago. And I don't see any reason why your kids and grandkids should be enslaved to paying you off because that's what would happen. Do you know that for every dollar you pay in Medicare taxes, that you paid over your lifetime, you are likely to spend in Medicare four times more, $4 for every dollar you paid in. Where did the extra three come from? Not that the one was saved anyway. So where do those four come from? From your kids and grandkids. Their, their income is being taken from them by force in order to provide you with health care. How is that right? How is that moral? How is that just? Let's sacrifice the young for the sake of the poor. Let's screw the young. Let's make economic growth zero for them. Let's take their money and give it to old people so they can live six months longer. I mean, it's the, mor the morality is completely upside down. Why are we doing this? Because the young, they're healthy. They, they've got a whole lifetime before them. The old, the needy, the, the sick, the poor, they're dying. So we need to sacrifice the young for the sake of the old. That's what Social Security is. That's what Medicare is. And that's why until you are ready to talk about eliminating those programs, phasing them out, you cannot talk about doing away with Obamacare. It's the same principle. Obamacare did exactly the same thing. Sacrifice the young and the healthy for the sake of the middle-aged and, 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 and sick. Why? Why is it? Why do you get penalized for being young and healthy? Why do you get penalized for being old and healthy? Why do you get penalized for taking care of yourself? Why do you get penalized for buying insurance? Why do you get penalized for saving? But that's the system we live in because we believe in this altruistic morality that says, uh, -uh your responsibility in life is not to take care of yourself, not to live your own life, not to save, be responsible. Your moral responsibility, your, your, your purpose in life is to serve other people. Your purpose in life is to take care of the needy. The ideal is that all of us become other Teresas. I don't know who would actually build anything if we were all Mother Teresas. The, the entire Western civilization would collapse. The world would collapse into poverty, deprivation, hunger, and starvation. But our moral ideal dictates we should. Mother Teresa becomes a saint the guys in, 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 in Silicon Valley, you guys who work for a living, who, who, who take care of your families, who work hard every day, who produce, who create, who build, you don't get sainthood. You don't get na roads named after you. You don't get bridges named after you. But if we all became other Teresas, what would happen to the world? Collapse. Total, ultimate collapse. Destruction, poverty, and death. But that's the moral code we have to get rid of.
we have to get rid of with all the implications that that entails. And if you keep listening to the show, we'll get to all the implications that that entails. All right, I want to go to, uh, let's see, Matt in Pennsylvania. Hi, Matt, you're on your own book show. What's up? Hi, you're on. Um, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I appreciate the uh, discussion that we're having today, the Sunday afternoon. Um, you know, kind of building on, on what you just said, and I think that was a great lead-in, probably having some information on my call. I mean, the one question I've been bouncing around in my head is you say, why do our representatives say one thing and do another thing? Um, you know, just reading some articles, I look at the 115th Congress, and it's going to be one of the oldest in history, with the average age being 57 for the House, 61 for the Senate. Um, you look at Michigan, the 13th District, they have an 87-year-old representative for an average constituency wow. of 35 years old. Wow. Um, and I kind of look at it in the context of, you know, the broader, the greatest generation, who was the parents of the current generation leading the country. And, you know, I look at my grandparents, you know, I'm 31 years old. I'm one of those dreaded millennials. You know, my wife and I both went to college, worked through college. We have two daughters now. We live in our own home. We pay a mortgage. We go to work yep. every day. Yep. Took, took boring um, careers, nursing yep. and accountant, and we're working our way through it. And I look out at the troubles that our country is facing and I look at, you know, kind of the base of the decision makers and, you know, do they have a vested interest in this? And is this really driving? Well, of course they do. Look, yeah, I mean, I mean, look, Matt, the fact is that old people vote, young people don't. Yep. And when young people vote, they vote stupid. They, they vote for Bernie Sanders. I mean, young people, millennials, overwhelmingly pro Bernie Sanders. So you have socialists among the young and you have basically a, a, a people who just want wealth to be redistributed in their, in their direction among the very old, and everybody in the middle is stuck, right? It doesn't matter what you think because these people outvote you, and, and they're, you know, they, they're going to they're gonna get their programs passed at your expense. So age definitely plays a factor. You're not going to have a very old legislature and very old voters voting to dismantle Social Security and dismantle Medicare. That just is not going to happen, right? So... Um, you know, I think you're 31, the, the you're I, Yeah, I mean, I think that's the nutshell that I see our country in, and I think, I think that's, that's the but, answer but for we're just going to have to get through these next 15, 20 years. But it's not enough, right? Because the fact is that it's not like the other generations are better, and it's not like when your generation gets to be 65, you'll be willing to give up on Social Security and Medicare. It's these, and it's not like uh, young people have a better set of philosophical ideas one of the reasons old people have a hard time dismantling the welfare state is because the older you get, the more riddled with guilt you get over your own success. So if you hold the wrong moral code, when you, who are being responsible all your life, as you get older, people will keep pointing out to you all the people in need and keep trying to use guilt on you to try to force you to help them. And guilt is a very f powerful tool. And because of the, this morality of altruism, because of the morality of self-sacrifice, because of the morality that says that it's your moral responsibility to help those people, everybody feels guilty. And it, almost everybody feels guilty. And it's that guilt that they manipulate, that they use. So it's much more sophisticated than just old people get the money, so they vote for it. It's not just that they get the money. They also feel guilty about all the self-interested things they did through their life. And they, they're fine with taxes and regulations and controls in order to appease their guilt in some way. Does that make sense? So it's, yeah, my point is it's far more difficult than what you're suggesting to fix the problem. Because 
because you have to go to the heart of the problem. You have to go to the core of the problem, which is this morality. And 31-year-olds, your generation of millennials, are just as guilty of altruism, are just as guilty of the morality of self-sacrifice as our 75-year-olds. You just have a different spin on it, and your spin, unfortunately, causes you to vote for Bernie Sanders. Well, I mean, I would, Not I would you say the folks in my household voted for Donald Trump um, because we looked at the alternative. Yep. Um, we would have we would have much much rather voted for someone like Rand Paul. Yep. Um, I think that's kind of the ideal. Yeah, but you're unusual, right? Especially, well, no. You I have mean, to admit you're unusual because Rand Paul didn't have a chance, did not have a chance. Well, no, I don't think I'm unusual in the group that watched the Twin Towers get attacked while we were in high school, yep. went to Iraq and Afghanistan. Yep. And, you know, I have friends who don't have limbs and I have friends who are dead. So, I mean, I think there's I think there's a misunderstanding of what the millennial group is. There's there's a group that's coming out of college right now. That's well, all gung ho Bernie Sanders. Then there's the the hardworking. Some of us went and sacrificed. Some of us stayed at home, came through a recession, went to college. I mean, the, I mean hard the, Matt, I have to cut you off because we're going to a break. Right. But let me just say, I mean, that is all fantastic. The fact is, though, that you guys are minority and that that even within yep. your generation, uh, you're not a majority. But suddenly among young people, if you take 18 to 40 as young, you're just a tiny minority. And, and what we need is to educate young people about how they are being sacrificed for the sake of the elderly, how they are being sacrificed and destroyed, and that how they need to become proponents of free markets. All right, we have to take a break here. Hard break. This is the Iran Brooks Show. We'll be right back. You won't hear traditional political views here. This is the Yaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. The Yaron Brooks Show. All right, so we're talking about the root cause of, of, of the inability to get rid of Obamacare in my view, is a morality that is everywhere in this country. The morality that places the well-being of those in need above anything else, everything, the standard for everything, the standard for good, the standard for legislation, the standard for who, who we like politically and who we don't like politically, is the impact I'll have on the needy, including, including uh, those who don't have health insurance. So, you know, it's, it's, you got to get rid of this morality. You got to shift morality. You got to shift the morality of, of self-interest, of the pursuit of happiness, of taking care of yourself, of being responsible for your own health care. And people who really can't, people who really, really are challenged, which is a fraction of a percentage point, very few people in the world today cannot take care of themselves. Very few people. Well, okay, then you establish a safety net voluntarily through charities to take care of them. But in no, there's no role for government here. Government is force. Government is coercion. Government is there not. Government is not there to help people. Government is there to protect people, protect us from fraud and criminals, and and gangsters and terrorists and invaders. The root problem is altruism. It's the idea that your moral responsibility is to serve others. All right, now. You know, it's a challenge because I promised to do other topics. Okay, Stuart, but Stuart, you have to be really quick because I have to go on to talk about Islam. Go ahead, quickly. Right. Stuart, you there? I wish you were... Aloha. 
You're right. I wish people were. Yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead. Government is a weapon, not a charity. Yeah, I mean, government is a gun. Everything about government is force, it's coercion. And therefore, I don't believe guns belong in schools. That's why I don't believe in government schools. I don't believe guns uh, should be involved in providing health care. That's why I don't believe government should be in health care. I believe that government should be only do what, what guns are good for. And guns are good for protection. Guns are good for self-defense. And that's the role of government. It's to, it's to defend us and it's to arbitrate disputes so we don't start shooting each other. But other than that, it should leave us alone. And it, we can organize to help people who really need our help. The problem is most of the people today don't really need our help. They're just lazy or they just haven't thought about it or they just are relying on the system to take care of them. But they don't take personal responsibility for themselves and then I'm supposed to pay for them. You're supposed to pay for them. All of us who did take care of ourselves, who were responsible, are supposed to take care of them. And that's just evil. That is wrong. That's morally, 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 ethically offensive. And that's the reorientation. We need a, the left has a, dominates the moral high ground. Thanks to it. Really appreciate the call. We're going to go to Slav in a second. But the left dominates the moral high ground because they say, look, it's moral. It's good. It's virtuous. You all believe to help other people. All we're trying to do is help other people. All we're trying to do is take care of the needy. How can you be against taking care of the needy? And I go, it's not the government's job to take care of the needy. You know what? It's not even my job to take care of the needy. And you want to take care of the needy, you go do it. And if somebody wants me to take care of them, they have to prove to me that, that there's a value in, for me to take care of them. They have to prove to me some that they're, that they're good human beings at the very least, that they're not being completely irresponsible. Because you know what? If you're completely irresponsible, don't expect my help. And until our politicians are willing to say that. No, but, but we get the politicians we deserve. You'll hear this a lot on this show. We get the politicians we deserve. Until we are willing to say that. Until we, the people, are willing to say, your health care is your responsibility. Get into trouble, you can come and ask me. I might help you. I might not. We have to have the option of not helping. Until we're willing to consider the option of not helping, government will take over and government will do it all for us. All right, we're going to take Slav quickly, although I don't really have an answer for Slav. Slav, go ahead. Slav, by the way, is calling from Montenegro. I think this may be the first call ever on the blaze from Montenegro. Go ahead, Slav. From Montenegro. Go ahead, Slav. Yeah, probably. Uh, first of all, I would like to send you greetings uh, in the name of Montenegrin Students for Liberty and thank you for your lecture that you gave us in April. Uh, my question is regarding uh, taxes and economic growth. Uh, how would you comment or explain uh, Germany and Sweden, for example? Uh, they have a pretty big uh, tax rate, and still they are the they have the strongest and the most successful yeah. economies yeah. Uh, so, Slav, in Europe. So, yes. how, how would you explain that? Slav, I mean, thanks, thanks for the question. I'm not going to give you a full answer right now because I, I want to get to this other topic that I promised. But I, I promised to devote a whole show to this. And, and I've, I've, I've spoken a lot about Sweden and Germany. And look, taxes are higher in Sweden and Germany, but it's not all about taxes. I, I talked about this earlier in the show. For example, Sweden has lower regulations on many things than the United States does. 
Sweden has, uh, has uh, it's easier to start a business in Sweden than it is in the U.S. It's certainly easy to run a bank in Sweden than it is in the U.S. It's not just taxes and the obsession of free market people and obsession particularly of Republicans with taxes is mistaken. And we can, you know, and I will do a whole show about the history of Sweden and what's happened. But Sweden has actually shrunk the role of government in the economy since 1994. The difference between Sweden and America is very small indeed. By some measures, Sweden is more economically free, as is Germany, than the United States of America is today. So it's not obvious because they have higher taxes that they're less free than America. Um, I would still, in terms of, just because we're talking about healthcare, I would still, I would rather have healthcare, uh, health insurance in the United States than Germany or Sweden. If I got cancer, health, health uh, or, or heart disease, I would rather be treated in the United States because I have health insurance and I can find the best doctors in the world here. And indeed, if you get really, really sick in one of these countries, the best remedy is to come to the U.S. So, you know, this whole story about about Sweden and Germany doing so well is distorted by the fact that every economy in the world is a mixed economy. And then how you so it's a mixture of socialism and capitalism and uh, some in America and Germany and Sweden are not that different. It's just the mixtures are different, and, and it's complicated to unwind the mixtures. But this, this idea that um, they're socialists and we're capitalists, and they're as, uh, growing as fast as we are, is just nonsense, because they're not socialists, and we're not capitalists. We're all just mixtures. But again, I'll devote a whole show to this. So, Slav, thank you. I appreciate you listening, and, and keep listening, and uh, watch out for the show on Sweden and on Europe on a relationship between taxes and economic growth. Oh, all right. Thanks, Slav. Uh, one other point. Uh, somebody on the, on the chat here on Facebook says, look, the real problem is statism. It's not. Statism is the consequence of altruism. Statism and collectivism are the consequence of the fact that we feel morally obligated to take care of our brothers, that we feel morally obligated to, to love our neighbor like ourselves. I don't love my neighbor like myself. I don't love his kids like my kids. I don't love him like I love me. I love me more. And you should love you more. And if you don't, work on it. I don't, I, I don't believe I'm my brother's keeper. I'm my keeper. I'm my kid's keeper. I took on that responsibility. I'm not my brother's keeper. Didn't choose that. But once you accept that moral code that you are, that your purpose is to sacrifice for your neighbor, statism is necessary because we don't naturally take care of our brother like ourselves. We don't naturally love our neighbor like we do ourselves. And therefore, you need a state to force us to do it. And that's the origin of statism. You don't get statism without altruism. Altruism is the source of communism. It's the source of fascism. And it's the source of every form of statism that exists out there. All right. You're listening to Iran Book Show. We're going to take a quick break. And we'll be right back to wrap up by talking about Islam and the left. This is the Yaron Brook Show, the Blaze Radio Network. So some of the commercials during the break uh, forced me to, to, to smile and laugh. 
I, as you'll discover if you listen to the show, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm an atheist and don't believe in praying and any of that. So um, good for the blaze for, for being willing to carry an atheist on their on their channel. I give uh, Glenn Beck a lot of credit uh, for that. But but it just makes me laugh when I hear uh, prayer being a supernatural weapon. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll get into it at some point here uh, down the road. Uh, look, if you're interested in anything I have to say, I encourage you to follow me on Facebook. It's Ybrook, Y-B-R-O-O-K. Uh, and on Twitter, Yaron Brook, Y-A-R-O-N-B-R-O-O-K. Would love to have you as a follower on both those networks. You'll get a lot of news from me. I do a lot of writing. Also, you know, I have a couple of books, a couple of books that I think uh, many of you would be interested in um, that uh, Glenn in, in the past, on the on the Blaze and on Fox in the distant past, has praised. Um you know, free market revolution, free market revolution, how Ayn Rand's ideas can end big government. That's a book I think you will all enjoy. It challenge you. It'll push you a little bit, but but you could benefit from. It would be good. It would be good. And uh, then you can ask me lots of questions about it when you call in. And my latest book that came out last year called Equal is Unfair. Equal is Unfair. That should challenge you a little bit. All right. Um I want to I want to talk about something different right now, and I'm not going to have a lot of time. So this is going to be really quick, hit and run kind of thing. But it, it it was big in the news this week, or at least in some news news outlets this week. And I just got to say something about this. Uh, I'm going to say more in the future about this, maybe next week, because uh, I think this is this is really a, a crucial a crucial issue. But uh, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, two uh, women were invited to testify in front of Congress. Uh, Ayan Hirsi Ali and uh, Asra uh, Nomani. And these are women who were raised a Muslim and who are very critical of, of uh, Islamic culture, uh, very critical of the way of Sharia law, of the way uh, Islamists practiced, uh, practice Islam, and very critical of the culture that surrounds it. Very, very critical, for example, of, of what happens in places like Saudi Arabia. Remember, Donald Trump visited, danced with them, they're the best friends. All American presidents make best friends with the Saudis. Yet, as Ayn Hissi Ali and uh, Asra Nawani presented, Saudi Arabia is one of the most barbaric cultures in the world, particularly in how they treat women. You think about uh, female genital mutilation. In other words, destroying the, the capacity of women to enjoy sex and, and doing that when, they, when they're very young. I mean, it's just horrible, horrible the, the idea that you would do that to another human being. Or, or child marriages, marrying off little girls, um, or honor killings. Honor killings. It's when a family member kills a woman because she has dishonored the family because of adultery or because of premarital sex or something like that. I mean, this is true Middle Ages barbarism. This is Dark Ages stuff. And we tolerate it. We tolerate it in the sense that we pretend that Saudi Arabia is our best friend. Now, these two women are incredibly courageous. Their lives are threatened constantly. And they stand up for women's rights, for women's rights, for the right of a woman to live a normal life, free life, to be able to drive in Saudi Arabia, not to have to cover their face and their body completely, to not have their genitals mutilated, to, to not be forced to marry at a young age. And they come to testify in front of Congress about this. And they are basically shunned by every Democratic senator on the panel, primarily by the female Democratic senators. 
Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris, the so-called feminist, the woman who cares about women's rights. And here women who are actually putting their lives on the line to protect women's rights. Muslim women's rights. And Kamala Harris ignores them, pretends they don't even exist, doesn't say a word the entire session. And the same is true of the rest of the, of the, the, the Democrats and, and the female Democrats on, on the Senate panel. Just an unbelievable disgrace. And, and this should be a big story. This should be huge. The fact is, the fact is, and we need to make a big issue out of this, the left hates Muslim women. The left is not, and, and you know, not that the right is a lot better, we'll get to that, but somebody has to defend Muslim women. They don't believe in individual rights. They believe in group rights. And therefore, they believe in the rights of Muslims to oppress their own individuals. This is anti-American. This is anti-everything the Founding Fathers stood for. Ayn Hirsi Ali and Asan Omani are heroes. Are heroes that should be respected by everybody. And the idea that they will be shunned by the left, by the left that supposedly stands for women, just proves, just proves that unmasks them. That they care nothing about women's rights. That they care nothing about women. What they care about is group politics, is multiculturalism. How dare we tell Muslims or anybody else how they should live their lives? And this is why the founders, there's no group rights in the founding. It's about individual rights. You have a right not to be mutilated as a child. You have a right not to be raped as a child. That's an inalienable right. It doesn't matter what group you belong to. It doesn't matter what sex you have. This is an individual right. And, you know, it's time this country, left, right, center, all of us, return to this principle of individual rights. And that, that's true of healthcare, where you have an individual right to choose your own insurance and to choose your own doctor and negotiate your own price. You have an individual right to live free of force. All right. Thanks for listening. We're done this week. This is your Run Book Show. We'll be back next week. See you then. Applying the principles of rational self-interest and individual rights on your radio. It's the Yaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network.